Brother Mark and I didn't rehearse any of this. At least not in the flesh. But as the Spirit of God has led us, as you can see by the way the service has gone already, we are going to speak along the lines of confession this morning. Confession. As a matter of fact, we're just going to just let the Spirit of God lead us in this brand new year in the way of victory. Total victory. Amen? Total victory. I believe enjoying the reality of my redemption, don't you? Romans the 10th chapter and verse 8. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. Father, we give unto thee for thy word. I give thanks unto you for thy spirit and for the anointing. Thanking you that the anointing shall break every yoke of bondage. Thanking you that the spirit of God will cause, dear Father God, this word to mightily be made manifest within us. To become alive and living within us. A living reality. That we might walk in the light of it and be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' precious name, amen. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I want you to notice the expression that the word of faith is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth. In thy heart and in thy mouth. Why is he bringing out the fact that the word of faith has got to be in your mouth and in your heart? Or in your heart and in your mouth. Verse 10 gives us the answer. Because man believes with his heart. For with the heart man believeth. Unto righteousness. Now you can really say unto anything. Believeth unto right standing with God. I think we have belittled some of the great subjects of the Bible. Righteousness. If someone says, well, you can believe unto righteousness, but you can't believe for anything else. Righteousness is the greatest thing you can believe for. Isn't that right? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for what? Nobody. Since the days of Adam, when he walked upon the face of the earth, had the ability to stand in the Father's presence without guilt, inferiority, or condemnation. But this man named Abraham believed God from his heart, see. And it was accounted unto him for what? Righteousness. If I can believe for righteousness, then bless God, I can believe for anything. I can believe for anything. No matter what it might be, you can believe for it. The greatest thing you'll ever have to believe God for is righteousness. And you got that when you got born again. And with the mouth, confession is made unto. Made unto. And the word salvation is an all-inclusive word. And it, inv it involves preservation, soundness, wholeness, healing, health. Everything you can think of. It's all-inclusive. So with the heart man believeth 
and with the mouth he makes a confession unto. But the word of faith must be nigh thee even in thy heart and in thy mouth. Now, the subject of confession is a controversial subject in the charismatic movement today. And the reason why it's controversial is because of lack of knowledge. You just mark that down. That the reason why any subject is controversial is due to the lack of knowledge. You know, we don't, you know, hold anything against people. And you shouldn't. We just pray that they receive the knowledge and the light of certain subjects that are in the Bible. The reason why the baptism in the Holy Ghost, or I should, you know, be more explicit and say the infilling of the Holy Ghost, is a controversial subject in Christendom today is because of lack of knowledge. I've never found one yet that was a sincere Christian and was willing to seek God with all his or her heart that ever went with me through the scriptures, through the word of God, when my, myself, I'm speaking myself, I, either I showed them or somebody else showed them what the word of God really teaches concerning the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the speaking with other tongues that didn't walk away being filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. Even if through years, you know, gone by, they didn't believe in speaking in other tongues. But bless God, through the knowledge of God's word, they got it. Through receiving light from God's word, they got it. Now, I want you to note that this subject of confession is highly misunderstood, and there are really two extremes. We talk about having the ditch on one side and the ditch on the other side. And you remember that we've been admonished throughout all the word of God. Don't turn to the left nor to the right. Sometimes I just get on my knees and say, Dear Father God, I just pray that the body of Christ would stay on the straight and narrow and stop getting off this ditch to the left and ditch to the right. You got extremism on, on one side, and you don't. You have uh, the fire put out on the other side. See, wildfire and excess are on one side of the ditch, and on the other side of the ditch, you got, you know, being very conservative, and those that uh, just don't want to believe anything in the Word of God except for salvation. That is the born again experience. Well, I want you to note some things, especially the things that Jesus did. Jesus continually confessed who he was. Did you know that? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come unto the Father but by me. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He knew who he was. He says, I am come into the world. That the world for me might be saved, and I'm going to leave this world and go back into the Father. Bold confessions of faith. Boldly confessing. He confessed before the devil. He said, the prince of this world cometh. And he has no place in me. Hallelujah. Can you say that with me? The devil has no place in me. Say it again. Say it like this. Sin has no place in me. Sickness has no place in me. Evil spirits have no place in me. I've been delivered from darkness. That means all of Satan's kingdom. That means all kingdom. I, don't have I don't have demons. They can't live in my body. They can't live in my soul. For I have been delivered. And by my continued confession, I continually possess deliverance from all bondage. Hallelujah. 
Amen. Well, that settles that. That puts Satan under your feet, see? You've been given power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. Jesus never walked around and said, the devil's after me. Jesus never walked around and says, oh, but I got, you know, this demon on, just trying to get on me here. And this old thing's trying to put this on me. Jesus never talked like that. Did you ever hear him talk like that? He said, the prince of this world cometh and has no place in me. Say it again. Satan has no place in me. Satan has no place in me. No place in me. Oh, hallelujah. Can't you just see his neck just being squashed beneath your feet? Yes. Well, we ought to continually confess who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. See? And that's what he's saying here. That the believer has got to have the word of God, the word of faith, in their heart and in their mouth. Now, I want you to note, we are told in the 107th Psalm and verse 2. Don't have to uh, look it up. Just listen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's do it. I am the redeemed of the Lord. And I say so. I've been delivered out of the hand of the enemy. See, that settles that right there. Well, that'll set you free, won't it? I've been delivered out of the hand of the enemy. Hallelujah. And that's what 107 Psalm verse 2 says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he hath delivered out of the hand of the enemy. That settles it right there. The enemy is defeated in your life. Satan has no power over you. Demonic influence has no right to put you in bondage. You recall in Colossians, the first chapter, in verse 13, we're told, don't have to look it up, who hath delivered us out of the authority of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Say it like this, I have been delivered, I have been delivered. out of the authority of darkness. I have been translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That settles it right there, see. I have been. I have been. I have been. Now you'll recall over there in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter and verse 21, He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now the word righteousness means to have the ability to stand in the presence of God Almighty without a sense of guilt, inferiority, no complex, no inferiority complex about standing in His presence, or condemnation. Now see, today we're having a deliverance meeting. Maybe not like some that you've seen, but this is a word deliverance meeting. Now I want you to listen. There are some that said, I don't know, it just seems like I get into the presence of the Father and I just feel like a worm, feel so unworthy. Seem like He doesn't hear me when I pray. Seems like there's something wrong between me and him. You know what's wrong between you and him? Your confession. You're believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. This scripture here in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that you and I would be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, God has become our very righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ, meaning we are the ability to stand in His presence without guilt, inferiority, condemnation, unworthiness. No matter what it might be, we are worthy to stand in His presence. Say it with me. I have the ability, I have the ability right, now, right now to stand in my Father's presence, Father's presence without guilt, without inferiority, inferiority condemnation, condemnation, anything. I could stand in his presence 
thoughtless, blameless, before the presence of his glory. Hallelujah. That's it. No, there's nothing more. That's it. You have that now. But you see, the church has missed out on this great subject of confession. My continual confession is my continual possession. Jesus continually confessed who he was. Therefore, Jesus continually possessed what he had. If you find yourself slipping off back into bondage, if you find yourself slipping off back into fear, if you find yourself slipping off back into unworthiness, you have lost your confession. You have lost sight of who you are in Christ. And all you need to do is turn that thing around and start to boldly proclaim who you are by putting the Word of God in your heart and in your mouth and proclaiming it boldly before all the forces of darkness. Now, here's another area. And uh, it's sad to say, but it seems like the, when we go grow up spiritually, we go through certain stages of growth, just like children do. When they start to grow up, they go through growing pains. You know. Well, if you're not careful to watch what the Word of God says and continually obey the Word of God daily, you can find yourself slipping off back into some areas that you shouldn't be. Some of you said, well, when I first got saved in the first five years, I just walked in divine health. Now I just can't seem to shake this thing. Now I just seem, seem like I just can't get, get a hold of my healing like I, like I did in the beginning. Seemingly, these things come upon my body and it seems like I just have a hard time getting rid of it. Well, that should be a sign. It's a symptom of this fact. You've lost sight of your confession of faith. God did not change. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never change. Say it with me. Sickness and disease cannot live in my body because Jesus himself took my infirmities, bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes, I am healed. If God said I am healed, then I was healed, and I always will be healed. I walk in divine health from the top of my head to the soles of my feet to the tip of my toes. My body functions in the perfection that God created it to function. He is my strength. He is my life. Satan, you'll not touch my body for I am redeemed from the curse of sickness. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So you maintain that strong, bold confession daily. Not every other day. Not once a week. Every day. Your continual confession means your continual possession. Satan's power will wane and God's glory shall gain the ascendancy and supremacy over your life. Amen. Well, I think we need to study some things out concerning this great subject because the answer, of course... To lack of knowledge is study of God's word. Isn't that right? I mean, the Bible says to study to show yourself to be approved unto who? Unto God. Not unto that man, but unto God. Unto God. A workman that needed not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And if a person has a problem with the, with the subject of confession, then the thing to realize is that lack of knowledge of God's word and experience of other people, experiences of other people, 
will keep you to a place where Satan can have advantage over you so that you can't see the great truths of God's word so they can be effective in your life. Now, this subject of confession is a great subject in the Bible. It's part of our walk of faith. And if we don't understand it, then really we're just lacking in understanding concerning it. And we've got to, as Peter said, put ourselves in remembrance of it, studied out with a pure heart. Now, of course, you know, the adversary is going to try to keep you into a position where you won't see the light on this subject. And evidently, just because of the controversy that I see in the body of Christ, he has been successful in getting people on one side of the dish and one on the other. Now, when I say on one side of the ditch, I mean, there are those that just absolutely do not believe that confession has anything to do with God's plan and program in their life. That's a bunch of hogwash. That's what they believe. See, they haven't studied to show themselves to be approved to God. They haven't studied God's word on the subject. If they did, they wouldn't say that. Then on the other hand, I remember when I was at school, I had individuals come up to me and, and they picked on every little word I said. I mean, to tell you, they had me more discouraged than they had me encouraged. When you've got light on the Word of God and you've got truth on the Word of God, you've got to present that Word in a loving way so that people will grab a hold of it. You know, the Bible says a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And we should not offend, you know, one another with the Word and beat one another with the Word. But we need to present the Word in a, in a way, a delicate way, a way that the Spirit of God could minister life, the life that's in that truth to the human spirit. I'm going to give an example of that. In 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 6, we are told that we have been made ministers of a New Testament, but not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Because the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The, remember that. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. If you want, okay, look it up. Everybody's turning. Look. 2 Corinthians, third chapter. And verse 6. Who also hath made us ministers of the New Testament. You're a minister of the New Testament. You are an able minister of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. If you're going to teach any great subject of the Bible, you have to realize that you could be right According to the written word, you could be right scripturally, but you could be wrong in the spirit. You could be right in your doctrine and what you believe, but you could be wrong in the spirit. Now, we've been made uh, ministers of a New Testament, but not of the letter. You can take the word concerning confession and beat somebody to a pulp to where they'll never want to hear the word confession again. They'll get so discouraged and, and, and upset when you talk about the confession of your mouth that they won't want to hear it. Just like the, the same thing is true with the Holy Ghost. They hear about, you know, people believing in the Holy Spirit, speak with other tongues, and you can just present it in such a way that it'll do damage instead of doing good. Now, I recall and remember many times that I had people that were from, you know, backgrounds that did not believe in speaking with other tongues. They believed in the Holy Ghost, but they didn't believe in speaking in other tongues. And they were actually offended by people that had the infilling of the Holy Ghost because of their attitude in presenting the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. They were 
maybe scripturally right, but they were spiritually wrong. They didn't, they didn't present it in the spirit of love. They didn't present it in the power of the spirit. Because you see, you can't change somebody's belief. I can't change the way you want to believe. If you want to believe that Jesus makes you sick, you see, if that's what you want to believe, I can't help it. But I can help you and help the Holy Ghost to help you to change what you believe. And I'm not going to, you know, win you over by just beating you over the head with the Word of God. I'm going to have to show you in the Spirit that what this Word is saying is so, and it's true. By presenting to you the Gospel, the Word, not my belief, but the Word by the Spirit. And ministering to you the Word in love. This is something we need to understand no matter what the subject might be. No matter what the case might be. But here you see that we are to be ministers of this New Testament in the Spirit. You can find somebody who maybe doesn't know what you know and has not grown you know, as far as you have grown in spiritual things. If you continually beat them with the Word of God, you're not going to bring them closer to the Lord. You're going to separate them and bring, take them farther from the Lord. And ultimately, we can bring it all the way back to salvation. How many of you have offended people, loved ones, that you wanted to get them saved? Your, your attitude was right. I mean, you, you wanted to get them saved. Your motivation was right. You wanted to help them, people to come to the Lord. But you began to beat them with the Word of God. And instead of bringing them closer, you offended them. And now you probably can't even speak the word to them any, any longer. I'm, I'm thinking of some family members right now. I wasn't involved in it because I wasn't saved yet at the, at the time. But some members of my family went to other family members and took the word and spoke the word in such a harsh way, although they were scripturally right, they were spiritually wrong, that it took almost like a year, a year and a half, or two years just to be able to communicate with that person again because they were so offended at the word now remember something doesn't the bible say that we, uh, there will be many that will be offended at the word's sake well sure it says that but I, I want you to know this they weren't offended just because of what the word said they were offended at what the person said bringing that word they didn't bring the word in in the, the spirit they didn't bring that word in love they didn't speak the truth in love they spoke the truth in a harsh way in a condemning way it takes the wisdom of God. Don't you remember we've been studying? Colossians 1.9 tells us that we've got to have comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. I shared with you uh, not too long ago concerning one of the individual members of my family and how he got saved. And how other members of the family tried to speak and tell him that he needs to be saved or he's going to go to hell and that sort of thing. And you've all been through that. I've done it and you've done it. But didn't present the gospel in the light of the Spirit. They brought it to him in the, in, in the letter of the Word. And so consequently, his ears were just turned off to anything they had to say. Didn't even want to hear it. Didn't even want to talk about it. And one day I just happened to be impressed in my spirit to minister, one of the first times, to minister to this individual salvation. And I remember just, just praying and saying, Father, I know there are words I could say out of my mouth. That if they come out of my spirit, and if they're led by your spirit, I know that those words can pierce this individual's heart and bring to him salvation. And beloved, I'll tell you what, I don't like to use this word, but it's almost like magic. It was almost like magic. Here's a person that just, just, just won't receive it, but all of a sudden, because of the anointing, because of the spirit, because of the, the love that went forth, 
Those words went right into that individual's spirit and pierced that individual's heart, and he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, got born again, and will spend eternity in heaven because of it. See, some of you are, are trying so hard, and you say, well, dear, i, I got to get them saved. i got to get them saved. I don't want them to die and go to hell. That's right. And if, but if I don't take to them the word, they're never going to hear the word. They're never going to be saved. And you're so concerned and so caught up and so worried about it that you're not reaching their spirit. If you sit back, get alone with God, let him cause that word of love just to rise up big from within your heart and give you the words to speak to that individual. Those words, you know, the Bible says there is that speak it like the piercings of a sword. Did you know that? There is that speak it like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Well, that word will go forth inside that human spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, convict that individual in a way that you never thought possible. And it may only be a few lines that you say. It may only be a few words that you say. But if you do it in the spirit of love, and if you do it under the unction of the Holy Ghost, I don't care if you preach that individual a hundred times, this one time will do it. There will be those that will never be won if we just be, continually beat them with the Word of God. But there will be those that you never dreamt possible to be won over to the Lord. I mean, people that you thought were just hopeless cases. That with a soft word, anointed by the Spirit of God, ministered in the Spirit of love, will cause that person to be turned around and change his destiny and be saved and come to the family of God. So remember that, no matter what the subject might be. Uh... Some things I think we need to be aware of concerning this subject is, well, while we're, while we're saying this, go over to the third chapter of the book of James, is that learning to speak the word out of your heart is part of spiritual growth. No one is grown a, born a full-grown Christian. But every individual has got to grow up into him in all things. It's impossible for us automatically, once we heard the word of faith, to automatically have our spirits grown to maturity in one year. You may obtain the knowledge of the truth. You may receive the knowledge of the truth. But you have to realize that the walk of faith and the life of faith, Paul related it or compared it, let's say, to a race that we run is not a 100-yard dash. It's not a 50-yard dash. But our race and walk of faith is a long-distance race. A long-distance race. It's not a 100-yard dash. There have been many that have received the word of faith. They've taken the, the message of faith. They got a hold of it. They begin to operate in it. And after four or five years of being in it, and some even less, two or three years, they gave up. They had no more patience. They had no more endurance. What happened? Well, the devil wore them down. They began to faint. And because they were wore down and began to faint and didn't realize that they were not exercising or practicing for a 100-yard dash, but they were practicing for the 26-mile race, can you imagine any runner that's going to run in a 26-mile marathon only practices for a 100-yard dash. And when he gets out there on that course, he begins to run. And I mean, he begins to fly. He just begins to take off down that course. 
And for the first, you know, so many, maybe for the first mile, he is in first place and he's way ahead of anybody on the field, on the track. And seemingly this fellow is really something. Boy, he's running faster than anybody's ever run that first mile. But by the time you get to the fourth mile, he's falling on his face in the gutter somewhere and everybody else is just running right on by. Because the man didn't pace himself. He got a hold of something. He took off with it, began to run a hundred mile an hour. He thought this was the answer and it is the answer and it's the truth. But he did not make preparation for the long run. He did not make preparation for that long distance race. He didn't practice daily, continually, and exercise himself in his body, in his legs, to be prepared for the long distance run. Now remember this. If you remember anything I say today, that your race, your running, the race of faith and patience is a long distance run. You don't grab a hold of the word of faith, the word of truth, and begin to, you know, take off with it and go a hundred mile an hour with it for the first year of your Christian experience or for the second year. And then like some of them begin to fizzle and fade out because they didn't prepare for the endurance race. And if you do that, that's what gives the walk of faith a bad name. If you do that, you're going to end up just like some of the other people did, just on a spiritual junk heap, right on the pile, off to the side. Yeah, and I talked to them. They said, I began that race of faith. I began to walk in faith like you did. I began to study Hagen. I began to study Copeland. I began to study Savelle. I began to study Camps. And I listened to what they said. And for one year of my life, I began to walk that way and live that way. And seemingly like it was working for me. But bless God, after two years, I got fed up with that kind of business. I got fed up with saying that I'm, I'm healed when I'm sick and my nose is running. I got fed up with saying that, bless God, my God supplies my needs when I know that there's poverty staring me right in the face. I don't have any food on my table. I got tired of that business. What happened to that person? They were only prepared for the 100-yard dash. They were not prepared for the 26 miles. Beloved, we're running a race of long distance. The Bible says, run your race with patience and see to it that you faint not in your minds. You mark every one of those people, every person down that you heard say that. I began to walk by that faith walk business. I began to confess the word out of my mouth. And for a while, it seemed like everything was, you know, peaches and cream. I was ahead of the pack. I was out there ahead of everybody. See, that's what they say. But all of a sudden, it seemed like I just fell back and um, I don't want to even talk about this confession business. I don't want to talk about this speaking the word business. Let God be God. Whatever happens in my life, happens in my life. And they get back in this same old routine. And they leave and make shipwreck of the life of faith. You read it in the Bible. Hymenaeus did it. Philetus, I mean, some, I mean, some of the other ones did it. They did it. They, they were, they, started out in faith, but they made shipwreck of the journey of faith. But you know who I'm studying after? Paul, the apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I started my course in faith. And he says, I ended my course in faith. And, and because of it, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, a crown of life. That's not only for me, but for all. That's why the Spirit of God, not too long ago, you remember and recall, out of my spirit spoke and said to you, slow down. Slow down. Trying to run too fast. Trying to get ahead of God. Slow down. 
Don't overemphasize what the Spirit of God is emphasizing in our teachings, in our ministry here. Don't overemphasize it. But slow down, maintain a, a pace. Pace yourself. Maintain a pace in your life, in your walk of faith, that'll keep you from the start and get you to the finish without having shipwreck along the way. Now, I have endeavored to do that in my life. I'm not going to get ahead of God. I look out and I see men like Kenneth E. Hagin. And I see men like Earl Roberts. And I see men like uh, Kenneth Copeland. And I see men like Jerry Swell. You see all these great men of God that are doing wondrous things for God. But people fail to realize that Brother Kenneth Hagin didn't know he was going to have, he knew he was going to have a Rhema Bible Training Center 25 years before it came into existence. But if God reveals something to somebody now, they think they're going to have it overnight. But it took him 25 years of faithfulness to the word of faith until he got exactly what God had for him in his, in his program for his life. Some, some people want to just walk, you know, in total victory in every area of their life, and we can and will, in every area of their life, the moment they hear the faith message. And they think they're going to get it overnight. It's all yours, it's all mine, and we're walking in the light of it. And each and every day, if we pace ourselves, Satan's power and dominion wanes over us, and God's power and glory gains the ascendancy over us and the supremacy over us. And if you'll maintain your walk of faith, and don't put demands upon your life that you cannot keep. There are those that have cut out, you know, everything imaginable. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with giving up things to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with spending as much time as you can in, in the Word of God, so long as it doesn't interfere with your other responsibilities according to the Word of God in life. But what they've done is they, they've given up certain things that, that cause to have division in their households. And they put demands upon their life that they could not keep. And so consequently, they couldn't keep up with that pace. Let me give you some examples. Some have said that I'm going to pray six hours every single day. Some have said I'm going to pray ten hours in tongues every single day. And they begin to start to do it. And they start to do it. And before you know it, before the month is out, they have missed ten days of praying in tongues six hours a day. Then they get into condemnation. Then they get into guilt. Then they get into unworthiness before God. What do they do? They put a demand upon their life that they could not keep. They put demands upon their lives that was not really feasible to the lifestyle that they lived. They couldn't do that. Now, if you can do that, that's one thing. But they, they couldn't do that. They had kids to raise. They had family. They had to go to work. They had to do this. But they tried to do all of it all at once. And so consequently, the whole thing just fell apart. Now, I'm thinking about people that have done this. I mean, they started out. I mean, they were just a house on fire for God. But sooner or later, they got to a point that they, point that they couldn't keep up with that rapid pace. They didn't pace themselves out. So they begin to fall. How many of you ever ran track? How many of you ever played basketball? If you haven't uh, practiced and exercised yourself for a long time, and you got out there on that track field, and you got on that basketball court, man, I'll tell you what, when I get out there with these, you know, younger fellas out there, I still think I'm 19 years old. I believe it. But when I got there on that basketball court, you know, and you start running around for a while, you find out that the endurance just isn't as much as it was before. And the human body just got to be exercised if you're going to keep up with that rapid pace. Isn't that right? Now, I, I could play, you know, right up with them at the beginning and stay right up with them right at the beginning. But you see, it's going to take a while before you can get back into shape that you could do, do that every night because sooner or later, you're just going to give up. 
And if you, and if you play like for about four or five hours, you're going to get out by the time four or five hours is up if you have an exercise or practice. But now you take the same, same you know, example and put it in your spiritual life, in your walk of faith. Paul says, when you run, run the race to win. A person that start, starts off on that track race and he's running out in that meet, if he is going to just run as fast as he can for the first mile, you've got 20, 25 more miles to go, you're going to fall flat on your face before that race is half over. Your body won't be able to keep up with that. Now, that's the same thing with, that people do in the Christian walk. They put demands upon their life that they cannot keep. And so consequently, you know, by the time uh, they're a three or four or five-year-old Christian, instead of getting stronger in the things of God, instead of, you know, growing in the things of God, they just give it all up and say, this, this, this doesn't work. I haven't had any success. I had it at the beginning, but now, look, you know, it doesn't work for me now. I want you to take heed to what I'm saying. I want you to listen to this. Pace yourself. Slow down and pace yourself so that you can grow and be effective. Here in James, the third chapter, this is something you need to know about confession. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 15. Also write that down. Paul said the sign of the spiritual mature Christian is that he speaks the truth in love. Don't forget that. Speaking the truth in love, growing up into him. Speaking the word in love. A sign of spiritual growth and development is how much of the word do you speak out of your mouth in love? Did you hear that? That's a sign of spiritual growth and development. Not about how much word do you speak by the letter. Not how much word do you speak out of your head. But how much of God's word do you speak out of your heart in love? That determines spiritual growth. Here in James, the third chapter and verse 2, if any man offend not in word. Now notice, you can offend in word. That's different than being offended for the word's sake. See, don't try to put those two together. If any man offend not in word, he's talking about the teacher of the word. Verse 1, he warns us about the teacher shall receive the greater judgment or the condemnation, the greater judgment. And he goes on to say that if any man teaches the word and speaks that word in love, that's what he's referring to, the same is a perfect man because he doesn't offend with the word that he speaks. He is speaking the word in love. The same as a perfect man, he's able also to bridle his whole body or the senses. He's able to bridle the senses, the body, the flesh, because he speaks the truth in love. Speaking God's word in love is a sign of spiritual maturity. And I'm sure that there are those that don't believe in the, in, in the ministry of confession that don't understand this. They, they figure that spiritual growth is determined by how long you've been going to church or how old you are. Some people think that if you're 50 years in the Lord, that means you're spiritually mature. And that's not true. Your age in the Lord has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. Now, you can grow into a place that you can be mature, but just because you're an older person in the Lord, I'm trying to say, is that that doesn't mean you're mature. Now, we may think that in the natural realm that, you know, we have sayings like, you know, old people are wiser. And that's why they put elders in the church that were of the older people, because they were wiser. They lived through many of the things that, of life, you know, that young people have, and they got wiser. But as far as spiritually speaking, a person that's... Uh, 
mature in the Lord is one that's sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. We've already saw that in the book of Titus, the second chapter. Sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. And you find that older person, if he's not sound in faith and sound in love and sound in patience, then he's not spiritually mature. Now here he's saying to us that spiritual maturity is speaking the word in love. Speaking God's holy word in love. The same as a perfect man that doesn't offend with the words of his mouth. Now we need to know that if we're going to understand this, this subject. Now what I want you to do is find Matthew's Gospel, the 15th chapter. Speaking the truth in love. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith that we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth and with the mouth he makes confession unto. There are a lot of people that are criticizing other people for what they're saying. But yet they have not the word of God in their own heart. All they do is they have the letter of it. They have the word of it. They have it in their mind, they have it in their head, and so they go off and tell people what they shouldn't be doing, but they're doing it themselves. That's the mark of perfection. When I can have the Word in my heart and in my mouth, and I know that that Word is so and works in my life, and I speak it to you, I teach you or correct you, it's because I am living it, because I am doing it. It's in my life, it's operating in my life. But I'll tell you something right now. If it's not operating in your life, don't even criticize somebody else. Don't even judge somebody else. Don't even tell somebody you shouldn't be saying that or speaking that word right there. Because you receive a greater judgment. A greater judgment will take place in your life if you do it. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, if you have the attitude that you want to help somebody and teach somebody. You know, I can teach you that what you've been saying was wrong without ever telling you don't say that. I've ministered that way to people. And taught them just what the Word of God teaches and says, and share my experience with them, and share you know what the Word uh, I've learned in the Word and, and how it's helped us. And right away they could catch themselves and find out what they've been doing wrong, and they'll start saying, you know, I didn't know that that I shouldn't be saying this or shouldn't be saying that. Just take some scriptures like death and life or the power of the tongue and, and share that with them and say, did you know that? No, I didn't know that. But I had, a, I had people come up to me and they'd, they'd just get all over my case and tell me, you shouldn't be speaking that word like that. You shouldn't be saying this and you shouldn't be saying that. And you shouldn't be doing that. And I'll tell you what, that gets you on a defensive right away, doesn't it? It gets you on a defensive. Especially if you don't have the light or the understanding of God's word concerning confession. Now here, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, look at it. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouths. They draw nigh unto me with their mouth. And they honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. Here Jesus is inferring to us that there is a confession of the mouth and there is a confession of the heart. There's a confession of your lips. There's a confession of your heart. Now, we'll see that also the psalmist said the same thing. Don't turn to it, but it's in Psalm 19 and verse 14. The psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Now we can see that what Jesus is saying here and is inferring by this scripture, it's possible that you could be honoring God with your mouth and your lips, but your heart is a hundred miles away in another direction. 
And by what Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, growing up into him, you're going to find out that when you first got born again and you start speaking the word and saying that you were saved, that's when your spirit man began to start doing its change and the hundred miles away began to be 90 miles away. And the more you began to speak God's word concerning who you are in Christ, what I have and what he's done for me, I began to get 80 miles away. My heart was, you know, it started out to be a hundred percent away from God. Well, bless God, when I got born again, I'm, I'm filled with the life of God. And, you know, your spirit man's got to be programmed. There was programmed wrong. It was taught wrong. But a new teacher has come in. And you'll start to find out that if you listen to yourself speak, you're operating really, as, as the brother said, Brother Mark said here, I don't want my heart to be operating out of fear. I don't want it. God didn't give me the spirit of fear so that I could operate out of fear. See? I don't want to operate out of fear. And, and, and you said, well, what am I going to do about it? And you hear the people's confession day in and day out. And I don't, I don't criticize people for this. But they say, I'm afraid of this. And I'm afraid of that. I'll tell you what. To deny fear actually is to deny the word of God. Just the very fact that God said, I didn't give you the spirit of fear tells me that there's fear in existence in this world. To deny sickness is really denying the word of God. Sickness and disease is real. Or Jesus didn't take, you know, sickness and disease. If it's not real, why, why did God put it on him? It's real. So don't get the idea that, that when you start saying that I believe that with the stripes I'm healed and I don't believe in sickness and disease it can live in my body. Don't think for a minute that we're talking about we deny sickness or disease or we deny fear. No. We are training our human spirit to deny the, the right of sickness and disease to live in our bodies. I am denying fear to operate out of my human spirit. I will not allow fear to enter in. And that's why he said keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are the forces of life. And when the forces of life begin to be developed out of my spirit, then they come out of my mouth. And when they come out of my mouth, it's, it's really the power of God that goes to work. And bless God, if you just hang in there and pace yourself and continually confess and continually say with your mouth that with the stripes I am healed, I'm redeemed from the enemy. I'm redeemed from all the power of the devil. And bless God, I am who God said I am and I can do what God said I can do. If I begin to do that, and don't be intimidated by the by the evidence of the senses. Don't be intimidated by the fact that your nose is running. Don't be intimidated by the fact that, you know, the bank book is empty. Don't be intimidated by the fact that, you know, your kids don't have something that, that they need. Don't be intimidated by any of the evidence of the senses. But you continually, in the face of all adversity, speak God's word, pace yourself so that you will not give up your confession of faith, and your heart begins to come into agreement and harmony, you see, with your mouth with your lips. And as you see by this scripture right here, Jesus was inferring to us that there's a confession of our heart, there's a confession of our mouth. And when the confession of my heart and the confession of my lips perfectly harmonize with the word of God, then, beloved, you are operating in the power of God. You are operating in, the, in, in supernatural power, the power that upholds all the universe. It's the creative power of God that you begin to operate in. That's why this here teaching of confession is greatly challenged by the devil. He doesn't want you to grab a hold of this and, and, and hold fast to it. But I got news for you. Uh, we've been shown to the word of God, go to Hebrews the third chapter, that that confession not only is a vital part of, of our New Testament teaching, but Jesus himself has been made the high priest of our confession. 
in the third chapter, verse 1 of Hebrews. Now, as you hear this message today, some of you have been, you know, wondering why there's, you don't have the reality of your deliverance. You don't have the reality of your healing. You don't have the reality of your prosperity. You don't have the reality of your communion with God in such a way that, man, you know, people say, God, I feel like God's a hundred miles away from me. It seems like, boy, I just can't, you know, seem to get into fellowship with him any longer. I, I tried to, but it just seemed like he's so far away. Listen to what you're saying. Listen to what you're saying out of your mouth. Realize that somewhere along the line in your Christian walk, the devil got a hold of you. And instead of operating proficiently in the forces of life, he began to instill in you fear, fearing the fact that you're not accepted in his presence, fearing the fact that, you know, you're guilty before him, fearing the fact that, you know, you don't have a right standing with him any longer. And so consequently, it's now coming out of your mouth. See, it's coming out of your mouth. You're saying... I just can't seem to get in the fellowship with the Father. He seems to be so far away from me. Why is that coming out of your mouth? Because your heart is far from him in that area. Now, what do we say today? I am the righteousness of God. Say it again. I am the righteousness of God. I have the ability to stand in his presence now. I'm accepted now. And he is as close to me as his word is in my heart. And in my mouth. Paul said in that, in that chapter, Romans, he says, but what saith it? But before he said that, he says, don't look up to bring God down from heaven. And don't look across the sea that you're going to get him across the sea. And some people thought, well, yeah, he's way up there, but he's not near me. And he's way across the sea, but he's not near me. But Paul said, but what saith that The word is nigh thee in thy mouth and in thy heart. That if you just confess it and say it, it's right there all the time. Now, those of you that said, I just couldn't seem to get my deliverance. It's because of what you've been saying. And believing in your heart. But bless God, start saying it right now that I've been delivered from all the power of the enemy. I've been delivered from every demonic influence and force and in Jesus' precious name, I have the victory now. And my Father God is close. He's never left me nor forsaken me and He's as close to me right now as He's ever been in my life. I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what the uh, circumstances might be. I don't care what sense knowledge evidence you know, dictates to me. I'll not be intimidated by it, but bless God in Jesus' name, I'm holding fast to my confession of faith. Look at the scripture right here. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, of our confession. Consider the apostle and the high priest. You know what a high priest does? He stands before the presence of the Father God and he walks there and makes the way clear for you to enter in with your sacrifice. He takes your sacrifice right to the presence, right into the throne room of the Father God. And Jesus is the high priest of your what? That word profession is mistranslated. And I don't know why sometimes, you know, seemingly it seems like as though even in our Bible translators, seemingly they put things in there that want to confuse us. You go back to the book of Isaiah. And really it says that he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. But they don't want to translate that like that. They mistranslate it and put pains and sorrows. Griefs and sorrows just to confuse the body of Christ. But if you study out in the Greek, you find out that it says, Surely Jesus bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases. See, that's speaking the truth. Here it's supposed to be, He is the high priest of our confession. Now, Jesus went through a lot to become our high priest. 
But what's he the high priest of? He's the high priest of my confession. That means when I boldly proclaim from my lips, from my heart, that with his stripes I am healed, then Jesus takes my confession. He takes it right to the throne of, of the Father God. He places it right in front of the Father. And he says, look what that fellow's saying right there. He is saying that I took his sicknesses and his diseases. And it cannot go in that throne room unnoticed. The Father looks at it and says, yes. I acknowledge that. And I mean to tell you from the word go, spiritual forces and spiritual law begin to get it, go into operation. And they go into operation in the spirit. And they begin to take place. And faith becomes the substance of that which you've been hoping for. You've been hoping to be delivered. But now you start saying that you are. And faith goes into operation. Spiritual law goes into operation. The power of God goes into operation. And bless God from that spiritual realm where we touch God, all of a sudden that power comes into this realm. And it becomes the, it becomes the evidence of the things that you did not see. And all of a sudden it comes into your system. It comes into your body. It comes into your soul. It comes into your life. And you, you got your healing. You got your deliverance. But if you don't hold fast to your confession of faith, you don't, you don't have the reality of it. Write this down. Faith confessions create realities. Faith's confessions create realities. If you don't have the reality of a close, intimate relationship with your Father God, it, listen to your faith confession. Listen to your faith's confession. Our faith or our doubt and unbelief is determined by our confession. Here Jesus is the high priest of our confession. In the fourth chapter of the same book, look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That's what it should be translated. Hold fast to our confession. Now, if you're told to hold fast to something, in the book of Revelation, we're told to hold fast to that which you have. Evidently, he's inferring to us that if we don't hold fast to it, you're not going to enjoy the reality of it. Hold fast to your confession of being delivered from the authority of darkness. Hold fast to your confession that I am healed by his stripes. Hold fast to your confession that I am not in poverty. Hold fast to your confession that he supplies my every need according to the riches and glory of Christ Jesus. Hold fast to your confession that I can stand before my Father God without guilt, inferiority, sin, condemnation. Hold fast to your confession that the greater one lives within me. See, as you hold fast to that confession, hold fast to that confession in the face of adversity. You know, there's no real problem to hold fast to that confession when there's no adversity. But in the face of adversity, don't be intimidated by the senses and don't let loose of your confession. I don't care how severe the attack might be. If you can't hold, if you can't say anything according to the word of God, don't say anything at all. Don't even speak. Don't say anything. But hold fast to your confession of faith. And beloved, I don't care how much of God's word you know. I don't care how much you've been schooled in, in the word of faith. If you let loose of your confession, you will fall to the level of your confession. You will fall to the level of your confession of weakness and failure and defeat. And if you find yourself in a position that's, that you seem like God has been far away from you, Realize that you've lost your confession. You've let loose of your confession of faith. This is an everyday walk, an everyday run of faith. You've got to pace yourself to do it every day. Don't put demands upon your life that will get you in condemnation. You know the Bible says that we are taken captive by the words of our mouth? Now listen to me. You thought it was the devil snaring you. You thought it was the devil putting you in bondage, in captivity. You thought it was the devil that was destroying your household. You were looking for the 
evidences of, of satanic influence and forces and saying that these were the things that were destroying my life and destroying my household. I've got to have deliverance from all these demonic influence and forces. No, 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 that's not what it was. Thou art snared by the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken captive by the words of thy mouth. Not by anything else. As a matter of fact, in Timothy, 2 Timothy, the second chapter, look at it. If we'll acknowledge this to being the truth, you'll be delivered right now. Thou art snared by the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken captive by the words of thy mouth. Look at verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient, and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God free adventure, how do they oppose themselves? You'll find out, but it's by the words of their mouth. It's by their air in belief. Oppose themselves, if God free adventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The truth is you've been delivered from satanic influence. You've been delivered out of the authority of darkness. You've been delivered and set free by the Son of God. And that they may recover themselves. You weren't in bondage to no demonic influence. You were in bondage to the words of your mouth. Recover themselves. God's not even doing it. Recover yourself. Out of the snare of the devil. You were snared. Not by the devil, but by the words of your mouth. And you'll find out when you get the words of your mouth in line with the truth, then the influence has no power whatsoever. None, I mean none whatsoever. Not at all. None. I can't say that enough. None. None whatsoever. Let's say this together. I've been given power and authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing that he has shall by any means hurt me sickness or disease hatred or fear any kind of bondage cannot have power over me I acknowledge the truth I've been delivered I am delivered I've been set free from all the power of the enemy. I acknowledge the truth. I now recover myself out of the snare of the devil. I'm free by the words in my mouth. I boldly proclaim it. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, it's so right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He may be the agency, you see, because it says right here, it's the snare of the, de the devil taken captive by him at, at his will. He may be the agency, you see, that carries it out, but he was not the cause. The cause is the words of my mouth. That's the cause. I was taken captive by the words of my mouth. You know what just happened right now? Shackles and chains were destroyed and broken. That's all the deliverance you need. And when you grow up in that and get mature in that, you'll find out. You will find out beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will walk in 
complete victory in every area of your life if you'll take what God's Word says, hold fast to your confession of faith, and don't let go or don't let loose for a moment, even in the worst circumstances, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what it sounds like, no matter what it smells like, no matter what it tastes like. The evidence of the senses are no match to the evidence of God's Word. Faith is your substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of the things you don't see. Hold fast to your confession of faith. Hold fast to your confession of faith. Well, there's one more thing I want to say before we close. And we've got to close. I want to say that... Go back to your scripture there in Romans, the 10th chapter, 10 verse. Confession is, and maybe you should take note of this, and if you don't have it written down, take note of it anyhow, some way. Confession is affirming something you believe. But it's more than that. It is affirming something I believe. It is testifying to something that I know is true. It's testifying to something that I know is true. It is witnessing of a truth that I have embraced. It's affirming something you believe. So you have affirmed to all of us here the fact that you believe you've been delivered from the authority of darkness. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's also testifying to that which you know. Testify to that which you know. I believe I've been delivered. I know I am delivered. Now witnessing to that truth that you've embraced, I could witness to you how to be delivered. And this verse of Scripture, Romans the 10th chapter, verse 10, he said the first part, for with the heart man believeth. For with the heart man believeth. Man does not believe out of his head. You hold that thought, and you tie in Proverbs, the third chapter, verse 5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your what? Lean not on your own what? Trust the Lord with all your what? Lean not to your own what? 